0: Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. All right, let's go Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, uh, we're going to keep going on in the book of Luke, and we're actually going to keep going from where we started last week, and we're going to continue on from there. Um, so I was talking with one of my friends the Saturday, Saturday night before Easter, and, uh, and my, my friend, he's like, I got a question for you. He said, how do you balance when you preach on Sundays that idea of preaching the gospel and preaching grace, and that we can't earn our salvation and cannot get ourselves to God? How do you balance that with like a good old-fashioned browbeating? Like If you grew up in, in maybe a, a real conservative church, like here's what you were used to at church is like someone get up there like hammering you for all the things you should or shouldn't do. And really it wasn't church unless you left feeling hammered for all the things you were doing wrong. And he's like, you know, sometimes because of my upbringing, I just want a good old-fashioned browbeating. Uh, and wrestling with that, because here's the reality All through the Bible, there are do's and don'ts, right? Live this way, don't do this. And there's some things, and you'll find the book of Luke as we keep going, like there are some tough things, but fundamentally, here's what we believe at our church, that we must start with the grace, love, compassion of God, and that that truth, once that truth is realized, that that leads then to a change into the do's and the don'ts. And so the passage we're gonna read today near the end has a lot of, let's do this now, and there's going to be some challenging things you're going to see. And when, the Bi- when you come across, when you're reading the Bible and you get to a place where it has, okay, now do this. Here's some things to do. Those are called imperatives. And it's very important that you look at that list and don't say, okay, well, if I do this, how I do defines how good of a Christian I do. That's backwards. Actually, when you see the do's and don'ts, here's your first thought. I can't do that. Jesus did. He's my identity. Now, because I have that identity, I'm going to pursue doing these things. You see the difference? Of just, I read, a, do this, do this. Okay. I got to do it. I got to do it perfect. So, so even as we look today and we get going in the book of Luke into some of the do's and don'ts, may let us remember it starts with Christ that has done. And now because Christ has done, we Are going to work to do. And John is going to introduce to us today and to this original audience the new kingdom that Jesus is going to bring. And it's going to be a radical kingdom. It's going to be a kingdom that's different than any other kingdom of this earth. And it's going to be different than what the disciples or anyone else is going to think this kingdom is going to look like. Let's go to verse 7 of chapter 3 of Luke. So we read this last week. We'll keep going. From this, So John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Circle that. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John has just arrived into this religious community, this this religious nation of Judaism, and announced to them that they are not in Because they come from Abraham, because they are Jewish. Because here's what the belief at that time was. If I'm a Jewish person by birth, I'm automatically in. Like I'm on God's team. And everyone that's not Jewish is not on God's team. That's what they believed. And so John is going to introduce them to this new kingdom. And here's what he's going to tell them. This new kingdom is not based on your lineage or on your religious performance. This new kingdom is going to be totally different. And to a community, to a to religion that was all about what you did on the outside. Do these religious things and that will make God proud of you. Will make God love you. Will get you to God. He's going to announce that the outside isn't the issue. It's the inside. It's the heart. So here's what he says. Verse 8. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Like, here's what he's going to say. All these people are coming to get baptized by him. And for some of them, this baptism is simply another religious thing they can do. And here's John's message. It does no good getting baptized if it does not come with a heart that is repentant, that wants to follow God. And there's a lot of confusion about John's baptism. And and here's what it is it's an individual call to a community of people that think just because they are Jewish, they're in. And he's going to say, no, 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 guys, you've missed it. Repentance is an individual thing. And so he's going to tell people, hey, listen, you can come and get baptized, but this baptism is about saying, I am going to turn away from my own righteousness that gets me to God, turn away from sin, and I'm going to follow this new way. And that is his baptism. So baptism is not a sign that if they do this, they are in. Baptism is a response to say, I believe in Christ who's going to come, and now I'm going to live a repentant life in response to this. Here's what we believe at Hill City about baptism. You see, as we baptize people all the time, we love it here. Baptism is an essential part of what it means to be a Christian What we see through the whole New Testament is people, when they would come to faith in Christ, when they would believe in this new kingdom, they would be baptized. We don't see in the New Testament believers that do not get baptized, except for the thief on the cross. That's the only one where we see Jesus says, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. Like there's a little thing that kept him from getting baptized. He was nailed to a tree. Outside of that, the identity of someone, the, the mark of someone who's believing in Christ And turning away from themselves is this idea of baptism. And the early church took it very serious. Baptism is this public statement that I, by faith, believe in Jesus, entrusting in his righteousness for my salvation, and now living in response to that. There's a lot of confusion about baptism, even for us. And some of you, I was talking to a friend of mine this week. Uh, He was here last hour, and and he needs to get baptized, and he knows it. But part of his thinking, just because of what he grew up he, he's kind of thought, well, I'll get baptized when I finally arrive to this place. You know, the, the, more, but the better version of myself. When I arrive here, then I'll get baptized. That's wrong. Here's what baptism is. I'm trusting Christ for salvation, and I'm walking in repentance, and that walking is a journey. Some of you need to get baptized. Maybe you grew up, outside of the faith, and you've started coming to Hill City, you started hearing the gospel, you started learning, and you're like, this whole thing is new, but I believe it. I believe that Jesus is God, I believe that he died, and for you to get baptized is to say, by faith, I'm placing my identity in Christ, and now I'm living in response to that. I would encourage you to get baptized. We have another one coming up in a few weeks. Some of you grew up in a very religious environment where what you were told is that the way you get to God is by going to church and reading your Bible and doing all these things, and that's what you were placing your salvation in. And you may need to consider getting baptized to say, no, my identity is not in what I do, my identity is in what Christ has done. You might consider getting baptized as this public statement of, here by faith is what I believe. Some of you said a prayer when you were eight or 10, and maybe got baptized, but then have lived for years and years and years not following Christ. I mean, there's really been no effect in your life of your supposed belief in Jesus. And now you've come and you start learning again and you're saying, man, if I'm serious about this, I gotta live this out. I might encourage you to get baptized. For this mark to say, listen, I, I said I believed something back here, but it never really was evident in how I lived. And hear me, I'm not saying perfection. So baptism is simply saying, by faith I believed in Christ, and now I'm living a life of repentance. Look at verse 8. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So the fruit of faith, of belief, is repentance repentance is simply turning away from self and turning back to God. That's what repentance is. Now, many of you have a very negative view of the word repentance, right? We grew up hearing about the word repentance, and here's what many of us think when we hear the word repentance. We think, I've done something really bad, and God is angry at me, if I feel really sorry about it and hate myself and go to God and tell him how sorry I am and beg for him, he might forgive me. That's what many of you think of repentance. Or I did something really bad. If I beat myself up, if I put myself in a spiritual timeout, if I come to church the next Sunday, that might earn my way back. You know what that's called? It's called penance. Penance. Repentance is I must pay for my sin. Repentance is Jesus loves me. I'm one of his. My life is not matching up. Let me turn back to Christ. That's repentance. Repentance is a positive thing. See, repentance is actually about joy. Repentance is about freedom. Because here's what Jesus promises us that his way of living is a life of abundance. We'll see it as we go through the book, the book of Luke. He's, he'll tell you, I've come to give you life and give an abundant life. And so repentance is simply saying, my life is not going towards abundance, it's going towards selfishness, which will lead me in a really bad place. Let me turn my heart back to Christ who will lead me to abundance. See, repentance is about joy, it's about freedom. Religion will tell you repentance is about punishment and you better get yourself right or you're going to turn or burn, man. That's what, that's what I grew up hearing. And repentance is about joy. So when we, we repent, we are communicating to ourselves and to others that Jesus is all satisfying. Here's what John Piper said. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. To repent is to communicate that Christ is all satisfying. Like I believe the way Jesus calls me to live is the best. I don't always live that way. I believe it in my head. I don't always believe it in my heart. And so repentance is when I find myself drifting away from the best let me repent. Let me turn away from that and come back to where it's going to lead me to joy and freedom. That is repentance. Now, repentance is not just at the external action. Actually, repentance gets much deeper, it goes to the heart. And you'll see this through Jesus. He will always take the things to the heart. Let me give you an example. One of the commands of the Bible don't be anxious. Anyone struggle with that one? Don't be anxious. So Wednesday comes around, and I'm just like, I'm anxious about to re- kill someone. Penance would say, oh, I got anxious. God hates me. I got to go to church and confess. That's penance. Here's what repentance would say, Daniel, what do we have to be anxious about? Who's in control, you or God? And then repentance even goes deeper. It's not about being anxious. It's to say, okay, Daniel, why are you anxious? Well, as a matter of fact, if we start asking some questions, the reason I get anxious is because I like to be in control, baby. And when I don't feel in control, I get anxious about what I can't control. Where's repentance? Control. Who's, con- who's in control? Me. <laughs> no. God's in control. Let me give me an example, different example. Um, you get anxious. For you, it may not be about control. Here's what it could be for you. You get anxious because you're afraid you will let someone down, and you get really anxious about that. You know what the heart is for you? Maybe it's approval. The thing you desperately need is other people's approval. And so whenever you think you might not have that, boy, anxiousness just comes over you. So you can say all day, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. That's not your issue. The issue is much deeper. The issue is you desperately want approval. And so where repentance comes is, I have approval in Christ. I don't need anyone else's. And as I don't live with other people's approval as a center in my life, you know what comes? Freedom. Joy. That's Repentance. So to a group of people that were only considered with the outside, the actions, John's going to say, hey, here's this new kingdom. If you want to be baptized in this new kingdom, the center of this new kingdom is going to be Christ. And the mark of someone that believes in this kingdom is this life of repentance, of turning away from what will lead us away from him. Repentance gets to the heart. Now, behavior modification is simply concerned with the actions. We're after heart transformation. Like how many of you grew up in a youth group where uh, if you wanted to stop cussing, they'd give you a rubber band? you put the rubber band on your wrist, and every time you said some of you have it right now, I know. Some, yeah, every time you said a cuss word, what do you do? Flip that thing, right? You know what that is? Penance. i got to punish myself. And the idea, of I can just cause myself enough pain, I'll quit cussing. Here's the deal. That's not repentance. Repentance gets to the heart. And so over and over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus will always take things to the heart. So repentance is not, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. Repentance is, how do I live my life with Christ as a sinner? Because fundamentally, I believe that he is enough. He is enough for my joy. He's enough for my peace, for my freedom. Like that is the heart of repentance. Jesus is enough. And so John will invite people that have been trying to measure up to say quit, believe in this kingdom that's coming and the fruit of your belief is repentance. Now here's where it gets tough. Verse 10. So the crowds ask him, what shall we do? So if he's communicating to them, There has to be repentance. There has to be a heart change. Then here's their question. Okay, what do we do? And here's what we have is John's going to introduce us before Jesus even comes on the scene. He's going to introduce us to what some theologians call the upside down kingdom. Meaning the the cultural and religious values that were in place, Jesus is going to flip upside down. And John is going to introduce us to that today because the word that will define This new kingdom is not prestige or honor or power. It's a word, a Greek word called agape, love. That's the new word that will define this kingdom. And John and Jesus will take the religion of that day and are going to flip it upside down. Later on in Luke here's what Jesus will say love agape the lord your god with all your heart and soul and strength and with all your mind and then agape your neighbor as yourself agape the word love here's what it means sacrifice for god so agape the world john 316 that he gave his only son this new kingdom will be defined by love, agape, which means sacrifice. Which means not me, but God and then other people. And so at the heart of this new kingdom, at the heart of this new call for repentance, is to say, if I have truly been liberated by the gospel, If I've truly been set free from the gospel that I believe that God has agape, love me with a sacrificial love, then the mark of that is I will live that out. That's genuine repentance. And John's going to give us an example, and this is going to be tough, verse 11. So he answered them. They said, what do we do? Here's what he says. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none and whoever has food is to do likewise. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Like this is the first time in the book of Luke where we've been given any type of command on what this new kingdom looks like. And what's the first thing that he says? Those that have two, give to the one that has none. Now why is this significant? because here is the belief of that day. If you had two, you are more valuable to God. God loves you more. You are more holy. You deserved it. If you have none, you're a sinner. And God doesn't like you. He's cast you out. You have none because that's what you get. You get what you deserve. That was, the, that was the view of the time. And so what that meant is those that had walked around like, yep, we have. Look how good we are. And they looked down at the ones that had not. That's why when Jesus goes to eat with sinners, the Pharisees are like, I can't believe he's going to eat with those people. and introducing this new kingdom that's going to come. They say, what do we do? John says, well, let's keep it simple. If you have two, give to the one that has none. So question Hill City, what do you have two of? Now this is gonna get to the heart, right? This isn't this legalistic, well, I have two of this. John is going to call us to look deeper at ourselves and ask some fundamental questions like, what does it look like for me, who have been loved by God with this agape love, what does it look like for me to live that way? And one of the marks, one of the ways that we can test that is to ask the question, how do we view our stuff? Like for you and your stuff, is it like, (sighs) squeeze in? Or is it let loose? Because the way you view the gifts, your stuff, reveals how you view the giver. So John is just not saying his point, hey, if you have two tunics, give to one. He is fundamentally asking them to ask the question, what do you believe about God? Because if you believe this God only gives to those that are good, And gives to give you more power. Then what are you going to do? I'm going to hold it. I'm going to keep hold of it. And I'm not letting go. And I'm never going to give away. But fundamentally, if you believe God is a giver of good things and he gives and blesses so that you can bless others, there will be an open-handedness to your life. And he'll say, if you have two, give to the one that has none. He gives us another example of this. Matthew will record it in his gospel. Matthew 25 I came across this story this week, and I've never connected this until this week. But it's a story of the talents. Some of you guys have heard it. Let me give you a quick overview of the ta- Here's the story. Jesus, it's a parable Jesus tells. He says this, a man that had great wealth, had an estate, comes to his workers. And to one worker, I'm going to make it in our money, gives them $500,000. And to another worker, he gives them $200,000. Into another worker, he gives them hundred thousand dollars, and then that master goes away. And now these people have to decide what do we do with this money. And so the one that's given five hundred thousand dollars goes and invests it, and now he has a million dollars. And the one that's given two hundred thousand goes and invests it, and now he has five hundred thousand dollars. And the one that gave one hundred thousand buries it in the ground. Right? You guys heard this before. And then the master comes back and he comes to the one that had five and he's like, hey, what do you have? And he's like, look at all, look, look what I've done with this. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. To the two thousand, look what I did. Look, look what's happened with this money you gave me. It's multiplied, it's, a, well done. And he goes to the one that he gave one. And there's an interesting interaction here that I think gets to the heart of what Jesus is saying. It's in verse 24, it'll be on the screen in Matthew 25. He also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Keep that up there for a second. Now the master will go on to say, you wicked and unfaithful servant. But it's not really about the... Hundred thousand dollars or the talent. What's it about? I think we find out in verse 24. What's he say? Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Now, what about that parable I just told communicated that master was a hard man? Nothing. He just gave five hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. What what hard man? What? The master, I think, was saying, I'm a giver. But because the guy with one believed that he was a hard man, that he was not a giver, whew, I gotta hide it. I gotta keep it all to myself. What you believe about God will determine what you do with the gifts he's given you. Do you believe God is a hard man who's ready to punish you every time you get out of line? Or do you believe God is a good, loving Father that gives so you can give? That blesses so you can bless? And to it's that, John says, what do you have two of? Those that have two, give to the one that has none. The one that has none is not cursed by me. The one that has none is not a sinner, and you're, no. You've been blessed to be a blessing. What do you have two of? Someone's like, I got two kids, I'll gladly give you one. (laughs) Some of you have an extra car sitting around. Yeah, you could sell it and make $5,000. God might say, hey, those that have, give to the one that has none. Now, we got to pause right here because automatically, here's what some of us thinking. Man, those r- rich people need to hear this. Well, let's redefine rich for a second. How many of you went out to eat this week? Raise your hand, come on. How many got a $5 coffee one time this week? Yeah, you're rich, right? Because half the world lives on $2 a day. So let's just automatically lump all of us in the same bucket. Let's not play that game of, oh, when I have this, we're rich. What do you have two of? We've got a bunch of university students here. You know what you have two of? Time, hours, days. I love it. Oh, I'm a busy college student. <laughs> Wait till you get kids. <laughs> one of the ways that you can bless, college students talking to you, one of the ways you can bless our families in this church that are giving faithfully to let you come and and do your retreats, one of the ways you can bless them is to go to one of them and say, hey, listen, I have two nights, I'll give you one of them. I'll watch your kids go on a date and I'm not taking any money. What do you believe about God? To those that have two, give to the one that has none. It's radical generosity, and it is at the heart of this Jesus movement. Because fundamentally, we believe that Jesus, that God is a giver of good things. And when I believe that, there comes an open handedness to my life that is liberating. So, we have a, a couple in our church who, uh, who has a, a wealthy friend that's connected to them. And so, this friend came to this couple at our church, young couple have a, have a new baby and said to, uh, said to our friends, hey, what could you do if you didn't have a house payment? Because that's your reality now. Paid their mortgage. And then challenged them, hey, you live radical obedience. Two, the ones that have two, give to one that's, that has none. Let me tell you a story, and I'm gonna preface this story, preface, 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 I don't know, one of those two. With, in no way am I trying to like, look how good I've done, because I screw this up every day. Um, But I grew up in a very fundamental environment, and I always viewed God as this angry person that was ready to send me to hell. When I was 24, 25, the gospel clicked with me, and I finally understood that God didn't accept me because I was good. And there's this verse that that came to my awareness that says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like Daniel, you're free. You're forgiven. Changed everything for me. From growing up believing I had to get it all right to being set free. And I start reading the Bible through this lens, through a different lens of I'm free. I come across this Luke passage and these words just like those that have two give to the ones that have none started resonating in me and I'm leading a youth group at, at Pure City, a little town 45 minutes from here and we had a, a girl that started coming to our youth group that um, grew up in a awful environment, homes of uh, alcoholic, drug-addicted parents. She started coming to our youth group and she got saved and, and Looks like dedicated her life to Christ and we're seeing this huge change in her. And uh, this passage is just like, the, those that have two, give to the one that has none. There's resonate me. I'm asking like, God, what do, I, what do I do with this? And I didn't hear a voice or anything. But I just got the impression like, um, I had this S10 blazer, it was really beat up. Uh, and my, Emily and I had been thinking about getting me a truck, and, a new truck. And I probably could have sold that blazer for like 1500 $2,000. And for me, I'm not saying this is, has to be for, for me in that moment, I just felt God saying, hey, the two, I one that have two, give to one that have none. And so I talked to Emily, and she's like, go for it, let's do it. That's what I love about my wife. And so we walked up this girl and said, hey, what would you do if you had a car? She didn't have one. She said it'd be awesome. I said, well, here you go, you do now. She took it. I, look, I forgot about that until I got back in this text this week. I looked her up on Facebook. She's married now to a youth minister and they're plugging in and serving youth in a church. I'm not saying she did that because I gave her a blazer. (laughs) Here's what I told, I told Michael and Brad this because I asked him to tell this because again, my heart is not to say, look how great I screw this up every day. In the 10 years since that happens, there's never been one day when I've thought, man, I'd like to have that $1,500 back. Never. See, repentance is two to have. You know what it's about? Freedom. Joy. Living the way God has treated me and living that out to others. What do you have two of? Maybe you have an extra room. Have one of our members from the first service come to me and said, hey, I have a I have a basement, and no one's in it. If you ever know anyone needing something, let me know. What do you have two of? See, the mark of a radical faith, of ge- a radical generosity that believes that God loved them, the mark is an open-handed joy where we say, I've been given to be a blessing. I've been blessed to be a blessing. Now, here's what some of you are saying. You're saying, well, that's great for you, Hood. that's great for the rich guy here, but I can't, like I'm, I'm, barely making bills meet. Like I'm, I'm paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. I would love to be generous, but I can't. here be my question for you. Maybe repentance for you, maybe generosity for you starts at a different place. Maybe it starts with being a good steward. Right? It's easy to say, well, that's for all the rich people because I can't caution. You know why they have money? They've been wise. And for some of us, Redefining what this new kingdom looks like and generosity is to say, you know what, I've got to get some things in order so that I can live a generous life. I'll give you an example. We had a covenant member, a couple, been coming to our church and they hadn't given. And so you guys know this. If you're covenant members and you don't give, the elders will graciously and lovingly say, hey, what's going on? We came to them and here's what they said We're in debt. We can't give. So one of the elders said, well, hey, we're going, to work, we're going to walk with you, we're going to work with you. And so he started walking with them and teaching them how to start paying, like get, their, get a budget and get their affairs in order. And that's been about a year ago. Well, just in the past week or two, they gave for the first time. Radical generosity. So for some of us to live this way, it's the action before the action. Like we would love to take the action of being open-handed, but for us, we've got to say, what's the action before that? where I can be in a place where I can live generously. So for us at Hill City, even as a church, like the heartbeat of our church is how do we, as a community of believers, not just individuals, but together, press into this idea of generosity? And so you guys have heard me talk about, heard us talk about the For the City Center, the heart of what, we, we don't want to build a big $15 million facility that we come to once a week. Springfield doesn't need that. We want to build a facility where Springfield could come and find hope and healing throughout the week that's there for nonprofits, that's there for educational life. That's our goal. Why? Because we believe if God has given to us and he's a giver, we can live open-handed. Like, that's what we're trying to do. So when we started Hill City from day one, we started giving away more than many churches do ever. And we're going to try to increase that percentage more and more and more over the next few years because we believe that God is a giver and we don't have to hold and actually, joy comes as we give. To those that have two, give to the one that has none. He keeps going, verse 12. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Okay, stop right there. That would have caused a riot. The idea that a tax collector could come and be baptized included into God's kingdom would have been, the Jewish people would have been like, what are you talking about? Like tax collectors were maybe the most hated people in this region. Why? They were Jews who were working for the Roman government, taxing their fellow Jewish people. And here's what we knew about tax collectors. They didn't just take like the 10 bucks they were supposed to take. They were like, yeah, actually it's 13 this year they were getting rich off of their fellow countrymen and they were hated. And Luke says the tax collectors came to be baptized by him. The rest of the Jewish community must have been beside themselves. What's John say? Well, they say, what do we do? Well, he doesn't say, well, get out of here, tax collector, you're evil. No. Here's what you do. He said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. So for them, true repentance means treating other people as image bearers of God and not using them for your financial gain. Instead instead of building wealth at the expense of others, live generously for the benefit of others. Those of us that run organizations run businesses own companies have rentals are you treating your employees your the people underneath you with this open-handed generous love affection service or are you using them just as instruments to make you more so fundamentally john wants to ask the question how are we viewing people he goes on verse 14 Some soldiers also ask him, okay, stop, John. First, you're going to baptize tax collectors, and now you're going to baptize soldiers. These are probably Roman soldiers who are the ones that are oppressing you. I mean, talk about causing a scene. Well, they say, what's this kingdom look like for us? Here's what he says to them. Do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. Like, be content with your wages. So for them, as people that believe in this new kingdom, he's going to tell them, like, don't abuse your authority. So once again, let's ask ourselves, do we domineer others? Husbands, are you domineering over your wife? Mothers, fathers, are you domineering over your kids? Are we domineering over people that we may view as a little bit less than us? See, John's gonna ask us to to ask some hard questions about how we view our stuff and how we view other people, and he's gonna say, do you view them in light of this God that is a giver that came to you while you were far off from him? And therefore, because you view God like that, there's an open-handed, agape love for others. That's the new kingdom. That's the kingdom of Jesus. And this new kingdom will not be ruled by power or domination or accumulating great wealth. It'll be ruled by love and compassion and generosity and service. That's the new kingdom. And if you believe in Christ, if you say you believe in Christ, that's the kingdom you're signing up for. It's a kingdom of not self-centered, but Jesus-centered. This, this week, we celebrated the 50-year anniversary of Dr. King um, and his, and his uh, assassination. I guess we didn't celebrate that. We remembered that. Here's one of the things that he said. On, he spoke about this stuff a lot. Here's one thing he said. An individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Here's what Martin Luther King knew. When we sign up for this new kingdom, there's an open-handed generosity, love, concern for that comes from that. So John's point to these people that want to be baptized, he'll say it's great that you want to be baptized, come on, but baptism is this mark of signing up for a new kingdom of repentance. And this repentance is all about freedom. Hill City, let me hear you. You are free this morning to not be defined by your stuff. You're free this morning to not hold and keep in, but to give because you know that God has given to you. You're free for that. You're free this morning to cross boundaries of socioeconomic, of race, of ethnicity, of sexual orientation. You're free to cross those boundaries out of love. Because they didn't believe that in this day. You're free for that. You're free to listen to someone you disagree with. You're free to take up the fight for the weak and the vulnerable and the oppressed. Like, you're free to do that. That's the message of Christianity. You're free because God has given to you and give to others with this open-handed generosity. I told you a few weeks ago, we're not always going to like Jesus as Luke introduces us to him because Jesus will constantly question What are we placing at the center of our love and our affection and our desire? Is it us or is it him and others? And he will invite us to repent for our joy. And he'll invite us in to this new way of living. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Because here we go. We had some, parodies, some do. Th- here's what it looks like to live the Christian life. Now, again, here's what religion will do. How I do this will define how God loves me. That will lead you down a very dangerous road. Don't go down that road. Here's what we say. Because I'm loved by God, because God has given to me a sacrifice to everything, here's now how I will live in response. I'll repent. So I ask you to consider, examine, what are the implications of this message for you? Some of us need to give some things away. Some of us need to go serve the poor. Some of us need to adopt. Some of us need to go on a mission trip and be exposed to a different worldview. Some of us need to host... University students and open our home for that some of us need to go love refugees like I don't know what this looks like for you Here's one of the things I'm committed to as we go through the book of Luke I'm not gonna pound on you a bunch of extra things to do I'm simply gonna ask what Jesus asked and say hey, what do you do with this? What's this new kingdom of love look like for you? So here's the good news this morning because when we get to tough passages like this again the old church I came from, I leave like, oh man, I screwed that up. I suck. No, here's what we do is we say, God, how do I need to repent? Like it's a joy thing. Not, God, how do I earn myself back into your good graces? No, God, how are, how are you inviting me to repent? How are you inviting me to center myself around you and to ask that question, to examine ourselves? Last thing, here's what 1 Corinthians said says, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Like even this practice that we do weekly of receiving communion is an opportunity to examine ourselves and just ask the question, what do I love? What am I loving is ultimate this week? Am I loving my control? Am I loving approval? Am I loving stuff? Am I loving power to ask myself, what am I loving? And then to say, Jesus, I repent of that. I turn away. For joy, I turn away. Let's pray together.